week on Business Brief, we'll hear from a worker who has been affected by recent layoffs at an aluminum plant in southeast Missouri. Then we'll learn about a grant that is connecting Missouri researchers to entrepreneurship skills. Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ansley Franco. Hi, Siggy. Let's get into this week's headlines. A shooting at the end of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl Parade Wednesday left at least one person dead and 21 others injured. Three suspects were taken into custody by police. We will have major updates on this developing story at MissouriBusinessAlert.com, and our partners at KCUR in Kansas City have the full coverage. Prices grew by a rate of 0.3% last month, according to new data from the Labor Department. Annual inflation through January was 3.1%. Both numbers were higher than what experts anticipated. The growth was largely due to high shelter prices. Food prices also increased while energy prices decreased. The Kansas City Royals are planning to build their new stadium in the city's Crossroads District. The team's announcement comes five months after the initial deadline to choose a location. The Crossroads District was not included on the team's public shortlist of locations in the fall. Plans for the new stadium span 18 acres and include a hotel and team offices, as well as a residential and entertainment venue. Many businesses in the Crossroads District have expressed concern about the plan. Jackson County voters will decide in April whether to extend a sales tax that would help fund the stadium. A federal judge prohibited over-the-top spraying of the herbicide dicamba last week. The ruling stripped federal approval from products sold by three main manufacturers, including Bayer. The weed killer cannot be sprayed on soybean and cotton varieties engineered to withstand it. The Environmental Protection Agency is currently reviewing the decision. Experts say the ruling could be a big economic setback for Bayer, which has a large presence in the St. Louis area. Some farmers are uncertain how to proceed, as they are not sure if the ruling will stay or be overturned. The average call center wait time for food assistance in Missouri increased to an hour and 12 minutes in December. This number is more than twice the wait time in August. Wait time for the phone line dealing with general questions, including those related to Medicaid, reached an hour and 45 minutes in December. The general line had also seen increases since August. This information comes as the state is asking for $4 million for a call center bot that would decrease the need for staff on the general line. For our first story, we'll hear from a worker in southeast Missouri who lost his job when an aluminum smelter in New Madrid County drastically reduced operations last month. Oh yeah, I remember talking about this a few weeks ago. Remind me of the details? Magnitude 7, an aluminum plant in Marston, cut operations at the end of January, laying off most of its employees in the process. Workers say they received less than a week's notice of the decision. Okay, so what caused Magnitude 7 to make this decision? In a letter to its employees, the company said that cold weather severely impacted operations. The notice has raised questions about potential conflict with the Missouri WARN Act, a law that protects employees. Missouri Business Alert reporter Trey Kent spoke with Adrian Garman, who worked at Magnitude 7 for nearly two years. Here is a part of their conversation. What was an average day for you like at Mag 7? We had some good days, some bad days. Um, The workload in my department was uh, really labor-intense. But uh, most days was good as far as work goes. And so can you tell me a little bit about that day that you found out that MAG-7 was closing? 
Well, we all come in. I mean, everybody in the entire plant would come in. I guess a normal, you know, Wednesday. And uh, it was our work-off week, which we call Hell Week. We worked four straight days, um, 12 hour shifts. So Wednesday was our third day of that four-day rotation before we went on a seven-day break. And, like I said, a lot of us coming in, cackling and stuff, and then informed us that day that we were shutting down operations um, that following Sunday. Um, the doors would be closed completely. When he told everyone that, I just looked around and uh, I seen a bunch of grown men cry, you know, because it was their livelihood. How about your personal reaction to it? Oh, well, you know, me, um, I, I'm a CDL driver, so I could easily go, you know, get in a truck. But like I said, a lot of the other guys, they don't have the option. That's all they know. But still, it still hurts me and my family due to the fact that it was so sudden. So, of course, financially, I'm just like everybody else, you know, trying to make sure my family's needs are met. And um, and it's hard. Uh, you know, a lot of us men and some of the women out there, the majority of the women as well, will be out here trying to fight to get what jobs are available in our backyard. And I know that the DHEWD held a couple meetings for um, people that lost their jobs specifically from the MAG-7 um, in the area. I wondered if you had heard about anyone going to those events or how they how they went. I went to to both events. The one that was held in um, Portage, Missouri at the Rowan Hall. And also went to the one that was held this past Friday in um, Sykeston, Missouri, there at the Three Rivers College. Some of them guys just don't believe in what they're offering. Some do. Um, but it's like I said, it's a lot of people fighting for jobs right now. Could you describe the atmosphere in that in the room for both of those meetings? Everybody wanted to know one question. You know, what resources will be available immediately, like that day, to help Helped our uh, help our families, and that was the consensus of the room. There, um, they was you know we was all happy that there was something being done, but it wasn't being done fast enough for that day. Now for the meeting or the job fair this past Friday, a lot of guys was including myself a little bit more optimistic. It has more. It was more jobs there. Someone was hiring on the spot, things like that. You mentioned you had a CDL. How quick did you uh, use that to fall back on? Oh, I have. Uh, it was easy. I had some money saved. I would. I'm a good saver, but I had some money saved for rainy days. I always keep six months of uh, you know, rent rent saved up and you know things like this, so I won't be in a bond just in case something do happen if I lose my job or whatever, get hurt on the job or whatever. But uh, I've been having my CDL since 2018, and also drove while I was in the military prior to. Um, some years prior. I appreciate you uh, talking with me about this. All right. Thank you, sir. Take care. For our next story, we're taking a look at how a new grant at the University of Missouri plans to help researchers with a common challenge. Okay. And what is that challenge? Many researchers face hurdles translating their research into commercial products and services. A $5.5 million National Science Foundation grant will create a technology, entrepreneurship, and commercialization hub at the University of Missouri that aims to help with this. Interesting. What kind of resources will the program offer? The grant will provide training, workshops, and seed funding for researchers wanting to learn business skills. I spoke to University of Missouri professor Sheila Grant, who is also the grant's principal investigator, about how the grant will allow researchers to gain entrepreneurship skills. 
Thank you so much for being here, Sheila. So um, my first question is just tell me a little bit about the grant and what it's going to do. So what this grant is, is recognizing and what it's gonna be used for is to provide support to our innovators, to our researchers in translating their technology. So it goes from the bench, the laboratory bench, out into the public and have an impact on um, you know, any challenges, problems that they're trying to solve. So we're gonna provide um, sessions, webinars and so forth that are for graduate students and postdocs, but they're gonna be open to anyone. The public, whoever wants to attend, you know, these one hour sessions on really understanding research, how it impacts society. And then there's going to be sessions really sp specifically for graduate students and postdocs to really take a look at, you know, what are some of your career options? You know, you don't always have to go into academia if you get your PhD or go work in industry. You can be a small business owner. You can start um, basically your own business with your own knowledge and with your own technologies that you've developed. And then we're going to have a more hands-on skill set training for the graduate students and postdocs. So we're going to be offering a yearly boot camp, commercialization boot camp, which is going to be about 12, 12 weeks, a couple hours a week, where we're going to help the faculty take a look at their technology. We're going to help them de-risk it. We're going to have them to take a look at possible business plans or who are going to be your customers, you know, help answer those questions that are needed in order to translate their technology. And then we're also establishing a strategic idea studio. And this will be a go to place for faculty who have questions on, hey, I have this great technology. I don't know what to do with it. Can you help me get it out of the university, and, you know, help me form a company or engage with industry that might be interested? in their technology so then they can, you know, essentially license it or whatnot. So as part of this grant, we have a mentor university that we're working with and our mentor university is Washington University. So we're engaging with them and helping us establish our strategic idea studio, helping establish um, a number of services that we wanna offer. I'm just curious how you intend to help researchers um, learn more about how to I guess, use business in their, um, in their research? Yeah, and that, that's a great question. And, and the way that we're doing that is through this boot camp. So we have different sessions offered during our boot camp that includes customer discovery, you know, and that's one of the first things we want our, our faculty to look at. You know, you may think it's a great idea. And, and as faculty and researchers, we're always going to think what we're doing is great and it's going to, you know, change the world. But, you know, really, we're, we have them take a hard look at it. You know, who are your customers? And really introducing them to business models. Um, you know, the business models for commercialization. So they take a hard look at that and they learn how to apply it to their technology. Tell me more about the communications with WashU. What will those look like? Mm -hmm. So with WashU, um, there's a couple things that um, we're going to be doing with them. And one of them is essentially they're going to help us establish our strategic ideas studio. So we don't want to essentially copy or emulate what WashU does. We want to design something that works for MU. So they're going to help us design what will work at MU to help us, you know, provide that wraparound support that we want to provide our faculty. And another thing they're going to help us with is that we want to have a a yearly symposium symposium for women entrepreneurs. We need more women entrepreneurs. Uh, we need um, more diversity in entrepreneurship. So we're going to establish some workshops um, 
that will engage more of the underrepresented people in entrepreneurship. How will the grant impact MU as a research institution? Uh, What do you kind of see research at MU looking like after these four years with this grant? That's an excellent question. You know, um, what we envision is that after four years, the university will continue supporting the idea of translational research and entrepreneurship and so forth because of the community impact that our research can have. So we want to at least show that we've had an impact, not just in the number of patents that we um, you know, produce or disclosures or licensings that we do, but the impact that we have to society and our community and into the economics. You know, if we can translate this technology, you know, people's technology from the benchtop out into the public, that also brings a financial, um, you know, bonus to the university. Sheila, thank you so much for talking with me about this. I really enjoyed, you know, getting to learn more about the grant. Well, thanks for your interest in it. It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Ansley, what's your word this week? My word, or term, is wasting time. Okay, so who's wasting time? That would be a man named Jonathan Carlin from O'Fallon, according to a court ruling. The Missouri Eastern District Court of Appeals fined Carlin $10,000 for wasting the court time of his opponents. Interesting. How exactly did he waste their time? So, according to the court, Carlin used artificial intelligence to create over 20 fake citations in a legal brief. Carlin was appealing a previous decision that he would have to pay over $300,000 to an employee of his company that went unpaid for labor. So how did the AI citations result in wasted time? According to the court, the opposing counsel spent unnecessary resources attempting to decipher the errors in the record. That's all I've got this week. What's your word, Siggy? My word is biochar. Yeah, you're going to have to explain what that one means. Okay, so biochar is a farming substance. It's this really nutrient-dense stuff made from biomass, like wood chips or animal manure. Biochar traps organisms that sequester carbon emissions in soil for long periods of time, which can lessen a farm's environmental impact. It can also make farming easier by holding fertilizer in soil for longer. Interesting. So what's going on with biochar? The Missouri Organic Association is recruiting 80 farms for a project to test the impact of using biochar in agriculture. The first four farms will begin applying biochar this spring. Okay, so how long will the project take? The Missouri Organic Association will spend the next three years recruiting farms and implementing biochar production machines in farms across the state. For a closing thought, here's Sheila Grant again on her excitement about the University of Missouri's new grant. We have now funding to actually help faculty translate their technologies. Our faculty, once they find out about, you know, hey, you know, we could translate this and it's not as scary as they think it is, they get really excited about it. So just the fact that we're helping faculty, helping our researchers and innovators, you know, take their wonderful ideas and and take it down the pipeline to the point where it could be commercialized is exciting. That excites me. Well, that is all for this week. The M33 project provided the music for this episode. For my co-host, Ansley Franco, editors Brianna Davis, Gabriella Lacey, Sharon Rakebdar Xavier, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.